Amen. I didn't make him wear that. That's what's amazing about this whole story. <laughs> he actually wanted to. <laughs> One, maybe two other Canuck fans out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> this is Cole Barker, who used to be an intern here, but I'm making decisions on that after today's sermon. <laughs> Just kidding. You're good. You're awesome. So I'm going to tell you about Cole. Cole is my son-in-law, and um, my daughter went away to school in the Vancouver area and uh, to Trinity Western, and then she started talking about this guy whom I called the boy. <laughs> Who's this boy that you're talking about? She'd say, Dad, you know, so that kind of went on, and then one week she said, he's going to fly back with me, and we're to meet you. So I started into my who's this boy speech and she said, dad, be nice. I really like him. And I thought, oh, dude. So that was, uh, so it was no longer the boy. It became Cole. And um, I just want to say, Cole, we love you. You're awesome. We're very proud that you're married to our daughter. You're an amazing young man of God. You're no longer the boy. You're, uh, You've been, you've been elevated, and we're so grateful that you're part of our family, part of our church family. You're doing an amazing job with our youth interns, and uh, even though you're a Vancouver fan, we thought we would display our differences as we're talking a little bit about unity and the body of Christ today, and uh, that people who are from love different teams can get along. Though there's lots of things in our world that divide us, isn't there? When you think about it, like sports is just one of the things that divide us. I mean, how about Calgary and Edmonton, East and West? You know, can you imagine if he had been a Calgary fan? <laughs> I'm just going to pause on that thought for yeah. a minute because that's... The wedding was much easier knowing that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh, anyway, the first time we, we watched a hockey game, or the second time we watched the... Oilers played the Vancouver, and we had a bet that the loser had to wear the other one's jersey. And wouldn't you know, Vancouver, like, won for the first time in 400-year history. And there I am wearing that jersey, actually. Very jersey. Yeah, it's blessed now. <laughs> there it is. Oh, they pulled it up. Yeah, whatever. It's a painful memory. So... Sports, teams, Calgary, Edmonton, you know, East, West, Canada, um, uh, United States, ethnicity, age, race, color, religion, Christian, Muslim, and then there's the biggest division, and you're thinking, well, what are you talking about? Christian and my kind of Christian. Those are the big divisions. You know, Jesus didn't really want that division even within the body of Christ. His prayer was, make them one, Father, as you and I are one. Really, Jesus was praying for unity, but not uniformity. Unity amidst, amidst great diversity. And that's really what he's asking for in the church. Now, I thought we would do a little thing here today, because I had to take three courses on church history in all my studies in uh, post-secondary. So I thought I would give you a five-minute version of my three courses of church history, okay? So let me tell you a little bit about the church and to see the challenge to unity even within the body of Christ. So the start of the church is like the high point. It's like the precipice. It's like what Jesus is calling us to. This is what the scripture says. On the day of Pentecost, when it had come, they were all together in one accord. That word just means in unity. And really this 120 people had gathered in unity and it was like the high pinnacle point of the church. And then uh, you had 120 people, God-ordained, Jesus-trained, Holy Spirit-commissioned, charter members of the church. And then from that point, uh, the church began to spread. It began to get persecuted. And for the next 250 to 300 years, the church went through great persecution. But that persecution caused the church actually to spread and created the body of Christ even growing more and more. Until 311 A.D., when the Edict of Tolerance was uh, proclaimed by the Emperor Constantine, who himself had become a believer and uh, really said, this is now the Roman uh, 
religion recognized by Rome, so the persecution stopped against the church at that point there. But then what started to happen after that was all the doctrinal issues that the church then had to start sorting out. And so they started these ecumenical councils and where they would gather and they would gather different bishops and, and people from all over and say, what do you think about the nature of Christ? What do you think about the nature of man? What do you think about sin? What do you think about the Trinity? What about those who denied their faith during the persecution? Can they be saved again? All of these things became questions that these early church fathers began to wrestle with the canon of the Bible, putting the scripture together, the 66 books that we enjoy, that all came out of these ecumenical councils. And for the next 500 years, uh, they had things that they would come out of the councils and they would write things like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed or different creeds that would come out of these councils to solidify some of these truths. And the song we sang today is actually called the Creed. It's based on one of those creeds. And these are the things that unite the entirety of the body of Christ. These are the high-level essential truths of the church are in these creeds. Does that make sense? And so you're not just singing a song. You're actually declaring every believer believes these things. These are the essential truths of the church. And then a great... Well, if you want to call it a blizzard or an earthquake, not a Dairy Queen blizzard, but a bad thing happened, or maybe it wasn't, you decide. The church kind of had a, uh, a couple splits that happened. And the first big one happened in 1054, and it was the Orthodox Church was formed. And so in 1054, uh, there were five major centers of power, I won't mention what they are, uh, within the Christian, Christian community. And the largest one was in Rome under the papal authority, he was called the Pope, which means Papa or Father. And so the other four centers said, we don't like how much power is going toward the Pope and the papal authority. We want to go back to the early church fathers. And so that group of four bishops, they split and formed the Orthodox Church who followed the teachings of the early church fathers. And then Roman Catholicism came out basically following the teaching of the early church fathers, along with the authority of the Pope. So you, this is the first division. Are you following what I'm saying? So the big river of God begins to divide into two big streams, and that carries on for a little bit longer until there's another uh, earthquake, you want to call it, called the Protestant Reformation or the Protestant uh, um, time in 1517 when Martin Luther, who was a Roman Catholic priest, but saw the need to reform the Catholic theology and church. And so he pounded on a, on a door, uh, I think Wittenberg Cathedral, he pounded the, the, this thesis of the things that need to change within the church. And uh, lo and behold, rather than changing, it ended up creating another schism or another direction uh, for the, the body of Christ. Really the things that Martin Luther talked about, how can a person be saved? was his first big question, and he talked about by faith alone. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by being good. You're saved by trusting Christ's salvation for you. And then he talked about where does religious authority lie? And he talked about a thing called, uh, you know, in the Bible alone, in sola scriptura. And so what, what happened there was he said, you know, uh, yes, there are authorities. Yes, there are voices in the church, but the Bible is the sole authority of the church. And so that was his second thought. What is the church? And he made up the priesthood of all believers. He talked about that every single believer, whether they are a clergy or they are laity, they're all, uh, the priesthood is across the board. Every single person in the church is a minister of God and called by God to live in, and operate in that way. And what is the essence of Christian living? He basically, the fourth thing that he really hammered into was he talked about the fact that you serve God in any capacity that in calling you're in, you're in, whether you're a pastor or whether you're a carpenter, whether you're a pastor or a plumber, it doesn't matter. You are a servant of God and you serve God to the fullest in that capacity. And so these were the major things that the Protestant church started. And, you know, thank God for us Protestants because surely we have it all figured out. No. 
It didn't go well after that. By the way, today, there are close to 30,000 Protestant denominations. 30,000. And guess how most of them were formed? I don't agree with you on that, so I'm going to start my own church with this thought. And so all these kind of non-essential doctrines, uh, they were important to these people, but are, were they essential? They, they strayed from, you know, uh, they, they weren't part of the Nicene Creed, which all of us would agree to in all the streams of Christianity, but yet then there became these little slivers of division even within Protestantism. And so that made life interesting. I was out in Mexico one time, Cole, and I was speaking at a church, and we were doing an outreach there, and we were with YWAM, actually. And so we, they said, well, let's, you, we'll centralize in this church. So I was talking to the pastor. He said, well, why don't you invite the churches from around here to join us, because we're trying to reach the same people. And he's like, no, no. And what I found out was, he was part of a church, and in this barrio, they kind of like circled down a hill, and they had formed a church in one of these little subdivisions as they went down the hill. But the church he split off from was three rows up the hill. You could see the church from there. They were part of the same denomination, but they didn't agree on something, so they started another church. Whew! We got a long way to go from Jesus' original, make them one father as we are one. And so that's what we want to talk about today, Cole. So I think you're going to have to pray first. Sure. And then I'm going to sit back and just let you go. Okay. Because you got lots to talk about. Okay, well, let's pray. Amen. I need some help. So. Amen, brother. Okay. Yep. God, we just thank you for this morning. <clears throat> just thank you for your goodness and your love, Father. Just pray that our hearts would be ready to receive this word and, and your message and whatever it is you want to communicate this morning, Father. So we pray this in your name, Jesus, and amen. Amen. Awesome. So we're talking about a Christ-centered community today and what that looks like in my life, what that might look like in your life. And, you know, you might be here for the first time today. Um, you might have picked up the book at the beginning of our series, or you come every Sunday, but we've been going through this series called The Good and Beautiful God, Good and Beautiful Life, and now Good and Beautiful Community. And, you know, I'll tell you that we've been going through these false narratives in the book that are based on earthly perspectives, right? False narratives that you know, we might have adopted as people in this world. And so I don't want to spend too much time on the false narratives today because I feel God calling us back to his kingdom narratives. But you might be like me and found, and found some value in identifying these false narratives yeah. or identifying them in your life. And you might be saying, you know what, God, I actually need to bring that to you. Yeah. But Pastor Greg, you mentioned all the different factions within the church and some of the differences that, you know, you see in, in churches, um, uh, separations on you know, practices and theology or, or other practices. And so the, ch the church has been separated, and this was God's, this was never God's intention, okay? The separation, division in the church undoubtedly grieves the Father. And you might be saying, well, some of these disagreements are important, right? They're big things that we might disagree on, but I'll ask you this, are they essential? Yeah. There are a ton of disagreements from big to small, which may be important, but are they essential in the kingdom of God? And this is where we're kind of going to be going today and looking at because the question is, why has there been such separation and division? Well, it's because we've adopted this false narrative that sort of gives us permission to separate from anyone who differs from us in status or race or belief. And, you know, if this false narrative could say anything, right, if it was, if it was campaigning itself, it had one thing to say, it would say this. If you don't look like us, act like us, worship or think like us, then we are not obligated to have fellowship with you. Ouch. Sort of a harsh thing. Well, I understand. <laughs> but I still love you. I know. And you still love me. I do love you. Even though we're here in separate jerseys. True. Right? If you don't agree with me, I don't need to love you. This is the false narrative that the world is telling us and things that we've adopted. And, you know, I think there's two things that are at the core of this division that I believe we're, I just want to look at today. Of if we disagree, then we must divide. And this is the first one. Fear, yeah, or more specifically, a fear of not being in control. Right? How many of you love to be in control of all the details of your life? <laughs> Betty, Betty, you want to raise your hand, right? <laughs> oh, that's me, isn't it? That yeah, is. I, I'm not gonna lie. It is me. 
for most of us, we long to control ourselves, right? We want to control the people around us, the things we do, the things we can't or can do, what people think of us, what we're thinking. And so anyone coming in that disagrees with us or you know, has a different opinion sort of threatens that safe place that we've created. Because what we know, what we can expect is comfortable, right? It's familiar. So people coming in, they threaten that comfort. But I've, I've come to realize through my years of being an adult, yeah. not many, yeah. well, that it's good sometimes to not always be in control of every detail in your life. Wow. And I'll tell you a story why. And when I was graduating high school about six years ago, I had a plan for my life. I had it all visioned out. I knew where I was going to go. I was working hard to get a football scholarship. And I, I grew up in Abbotsford kind of my whole life. I wanted to experience something new. So I wanted to play football somewhere really far away and go to a school that was known for partying. Yep. That was my plan. That's all I wanted. No academics, no plan there. I just wanted to go to a school and party. And so I wanted to surround myself with like-minded people. Yep. How'd that go? Well, not even two months. <laughs> I was going to a Christian university 20 minutes down the road. I wasn't playing football. I was competing in track and field. And my roommates did not love to party. They loved Jesus. Yeah. And there was even a no alcohol within the premises rule. Wow. It was like a complete 180. Wow. But you know what? I found myself in this place of complete division. And it kind of freaked me out a little bit. Yeah, I bet. Right? It was new. So you got a scholarship to go there. I did, And yeah. that was part of why you chose to go there, but it was like this foreign land. Totally foreign. I was a foreigner in their land. I didn't speak their language. This was all new, all right? I, I, I found myself in this brand new place. What they did was lame to me. You know, what they thought was wrong. Their idea of a night out was clearly the wrong idea of yeah. how to spend a night out, and it freaked me out. Yep. I didn't want to hang out with these people. <laughs> and I, I kind of made this decision in the very beginning that, you know what, it's okay. They don't think like me. They're wrong. I don't need to be their friends. Yeah. And I made that decision, right? I, you know, they invited me out to events to participate in everything, and I would just say no. Mm -hmm. You know, even we used to have chapel um, on campus, and so there'd be chapel every day, and they'd invite me out, and I'd always say, you know what, I'll, I, got, I got class. I'll try tomorrow, I got class. And so this went on for a month, they'd ask me, but, oh, I got class. You lied. It was a month later I found out the school specifically designed chapel to not happen during any classes. <laughs> I was lying for a whole month, uh, dead in my lie. That's a whole other sermon, though. That's awesome. <laughs> but you see this fear of, of being divided, uh, being around people who didn't agree with me. I, I suddenly lost control of, you know, the things I could do, things I couldn't do, things, you know, people that I surrounded myself with, and it, and it really freaked me out, and I was in this place of division, because you see that our sin and our fear causes us to look inward and to worry about solely ourselves, but how many of you know that the kingdom of God calls us to look outward, right? Calls us to make disciples of nations and, and to be in a Christ-centered community rather than solely worrying about myself. So then when you, when you come into this relationship with God, you don't have to fear mm -hmm. because the love of God drives away that fear. Yeah. And I don't need to convince you to change. Mm -hmm. I just need to love you. Yeah. And God will do the changing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Amazing. Good. So the first one we looked at was fear or our fear of not being in control. Here's the second one I believe is at the core of this divisive nature, and that's an immaturity or self-centeredness. Ouch. It is. But, and, and I know it's ironic because, you know, here's a young man coming on stage for the first time, and I'm saying, you're immature. Okay? But this message goes <laughs> for me too. Don't leave. I'm just the messenger. You can take it up with God later. Amen, but it brother. takes maturity to be in unity with those who are different from us. Yep. Right? It takes maturity to, to be other-centered, to look outwards and, and to focus on them and to be in that kingdom narrative. It's a lifelong journey that you know, we need to look to God for. So awesome. you know, I, just, I included this in here. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. I'll just read it quickly. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So God's calling the church to this place of maturity. Yeah. 
Awesome. Right. And he's made himself known to each and every one of us. He's given us these gifts to each and every one of us. He's given us the Holy Spirit, right? Each and every one of us have been set apart uniquely in his kingdom to look outwards and to bring people home in maturity together in unity. Beautiful. Right? Self-centeredness is thinking, you know, I'm set apart and my way is the best way and people should come to my camp. But self-awareness is understanding I am set apart uniquely, but among the many others. Wow, that's really good. Did you come up with that yourself? That's really good. You know, Holy Spirit just kind yeah, of downloaded okay, it in there. Good. I don't want to start maturity right credit. there. I just set you up and you passed. Keep going. <laughs> but you know, when I became a Christian, I had all these questions of why is this like that? Why is this like this? And so one of those questions that maybe you have today is, you know, why are there so many churches? Yeah. And so you mentioned a great example of uh, Pastor Glenn Forsberg, kind of yeah. analogy he uses. You know, he's, he grew up a farmer and he mentioned there's all these different combines for different crops. Yeah. Right? Our church might not reach some people, but it's meant to reach specific people. And so each church has this unique calling that all builds together in the larger picture of his narrative. We've had youth that have left uh, our youth group, yeah. but you know, I've reached out since and they're going to a different youth group. And I just say, thank God they're still going to right. a youth group. Amen. Least. It doesn't have to be here. Yeah. It's all part of the bigger kingdom. So good. And this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Awesome. Because here's the truth. What divides us is that earthly perspective, that false narrative of if you don't agree with me, I don't need to love you, have fellowship with you. But a Christ-centered community is coming back to God's love and recognizing, you know, we're, we're in unity together and we're one in Christ because his love cast out all fear and will guide us in maturity. So when we live in the love of God, we have nothing to fear or defend mm -hmm. because that which unites us is greater than that which divides us. Yeah. Good. Awesome. So obviously we're wearing our jerseys today. Pastor Greg, you and I both love sports, yeah. uh, you know, basketball, hockey, football, whatever it is. We love sports and with loving sports comes rivalries. Yeah. I love good rivalries, playing football, hockey growing up. You know, we had multiple high schools in our city and so we'd play them every single year and they were kind of like our rival. You'd circle the calendar, you got excited to play them. When you beat them, you hold it over them for a whole year, it was great. Yeah, I love awesome. rivalries. I thought I knew what they were until yep. I moved here. Yep. Okay. And I experienced playoff battle of Alberta for the first time in my life. Freaked me out a little bit. Yep. I thought I knew my brother-in-law Mitchell, but it was a whole another side of Mitchell I've never seen before. <laughs> Scared me a little bit. I've trained him. <coughs> I've trained him up. Yeah. But as a Vancouver fan, you know, I got to go to your house, watch the games with no real investment. I cheer for the Oilers, but I kind of got to sit back, relax, and just watch Calgary, Edmonton go at it. It was great. But even more than that, even more than a good rivalry and hockey in general, one of the things that I've loved to see is a story that's sort of been taking the media's attention by storm. And so it's a story of a little boy named Ben Stelter, and I think a picture's going to come up on a screen. And so he's a five or six-year-old boy who was diagnosed with brain cancer, but he also happens to be the biggest Oilers fan. So if you've watched any of the games, you might have seen Ben, but he can be seen skating before games, fist bumping, hugging the players, and he kind of became the Oilers good luck charm, sort of like a team mascot, you know, everyone was in support of Ben. Yeah. And so it was awesome to see, and there was even a moment in the first round when the Oilers lost to the Kings, and, um, you know, Ben went back to the locker room and there was a picture taken of Ben and he can be seen consoling Connor McDavid. Yep. And he just says, you got this, buddy. It's okay, you got this, buddy. I mean, telling the best player in the world. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So awesome. But Ben is this incredible story and so the hockey world quickly gathered together in love of Ben and in support of Ben. And it was awesome to see not only the entire Oilers fan base being supportive of him, but other hockey fan bases as well. And even in the second round, there was this great moment of Matthew Kachuk, sort of like the biggest instigator on the flames. The Antichrist, we call him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
He was <laughs> in my home, not, not theologically. Yeah. He was like target enemy number one, okay? Yep. You just kind of hate on, on Kachuk. But there was even a video that came out on social media of, of Kachuk filming himself. And he just says this in the video. Uh, he says, hey, Ben, I know I'm probably not your favorite right now. And there was just a video of you shooting me in the face with a Nerf gun. But I just want to let you know that we're cheering for you. And we're all in support of you. And Calgary is behind you. And that happened in L.A. as well. Did it? The L.A., uh, the mascot from L.A. did a whole video as well for Ben. Beautiful. Yeah. So that, you know, that which divides us, our, our teams, you know, something's bringing us together, which is mm -hmm. love. Exactly. Far greater than that which divides us. Right. And Powerful. here's the kingdom truth that comes from that. You know, there's always something bigger that unites us from that which divides us. In this case, it was Ben, right? A young boy that, you know, through love and support brought, you know, the biggest rivalries in sports together. Love it. Right, there's something bigger that unites us from that which divides us. And, you know, for us today as believers, as people in this world, we live in light of the fact that Jesus had gone to the cross, he had died, and he resurrected for each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. right? God sent his one and only son for each and every one of us through Beautiful. an abundance of love. Right, it's no different for me than it is for you. We were saved by love. And so here's the biggest rivalry in sports, 34 years in the making, somehow uniting all the fan bases together because there's something bigger that always unites us. Love it. So we've looked at a few things that you know, have been at the core of this divisive nature, this false narrative, but I think it's more important to look at you know, what might unite us and what is this kingdom narrative that we're talking about. Well, if you follow the book, and even if you don't, that's okay because you know, the book has been talking about uh, this idea of we need to have a rationale for our behavior. Right? Our behavior is shaped by ideas and who we look to, what we look to, what we understand. And so I was thinking about this idea and just kind of prepping in my head and I was telling Pastor Greg that there was a moment a few years ago that I had where something that I had believed, uh, something that I had been holding on to and living by was totally made up by wow. either my friends or my parents and it was probably for my own good, but it was totally made up and I had this realization of just total clarity. And so I was telling you this and you had a great story about you know, this lady who had the same sort of realization and I just want to share it today because I thought it was funny, but uh, it was when she was younger, it was during summer, she was hanging outside with her friend and it was a hot summer day and then all of a sudden she hears the ice cream truck play. Well, she's 17 now. She's 17 at this moment. Go ahead. And the ice cream truck song plays a couple blocks away and she hears the song and she goes, oh shoot, they're all out of ice cream. All out of ice cream again. Yeah. And her friend goes, how do you, how do you know that? It's a couple blocks away. And she says, well, the song is playing. The song that means that all the ice cream is sold out. This is what her mother had told her her entire life. She's 17 years old. <laughs> She's like, they're all out of ice cream again. <laughs> My wife is taking notes for when we have kids. Yeah. But you understand that what we look to, who we look to, shapes our ideas and understanding of, you know, just how we live, what we understand. And so living in a Christ-centered community, coming back to the kingdom narratives, how important is it to look to God on a day-to-day -day basis? Awesome. Right, but what is, what is this kingdom narrative? Well, you know, this is what I think Jesus is trying to tell us. This is the first one of what it means to live in a Christ-centered community is that we are one in Christ. We are one in Christ. This is what it says in Colossians 3, verse 11. It says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Wow. Such a great scripture. And, you know, really what it comes down to is what unites us is the gospel. Right. Right. Christ's love and his sacrifice, whereas fear and this desire to control divide us. It's our call to the lordship of Christ, understanding that we needed a savior. Christ is all and is in all that unites us. Awesome. So Paul was trying to explain and, you know, his, it, this idea to people who didn't really understand this at the moment, right? The world was quite divided at this time. Uh, two decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the church pretty much consisted of, you know, Jews who had accepted uh, Jesus as the Messiah. So almost all the believers were, were Jewish. Yeah. Okay. And so however, Paul, you know, commissioned by God to be the apostle of the Gentiles, started spreading this news to all that I could hear. Right? doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, even if you're a barbarian, Scythian, slave or free man. It doesn't matter who you are because God is on the throne and Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. So 
barbarians, Scythian, what does that mean? Like, just for a second, tell us. You know, let's talk about Paul for a second. Sure, yeah. yeah. Scythians, you know, they were considered rude and, and violent and crude. Barbarians didn't speak the language. It, it was just a highly divisive world, pretty right. much. So, so Paul, like, let's, you guys need to pause for a moment here because the Apostle Paul, he is, it's hilarious. Heaven is funny. He, God picks Paul to reach the barbarians and the Scythians and the world. Now, why is that funny? Because Paul was Jewish, but not only was he Jewish, he was a Pharisee. Now, I'll tell you what that was. Not only was he a Pharisee, he called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, they think they're, they're loving Jesus, are loving God, I am love them even more. You know, I am, I am holy. I, he actually had the audacity to say, as for legalistic righteousness, I was perfect. But he says, then he said, but I consider it all dung compared to knowing Christ. So this guy, he's a Pharisee, and the word Pharisee means separated ones. They were so into, like, pursuing God and so into holiness they actually separated from other Jews. Forget about talking to Gentiles and the Scythians and the barbarians. They wouldn't even associate with other Jews. They were so intent and so serious that when Jews started to convert to Christianity, Paul persecuted them and saw them put to death for that decision. And now God gets a hold of him, knocks him on his butt, which is a funny story, and um, he says, you're going to the Gentiles. <laughs> That's awesome. So awesome. So that's, anyway, I just wanted to tell you that. I thought oh, it was great. Cool. Uh, very I wasn't cool. talking very much. <laughs> I felt alone up here. Okay, go. You know, when I graduated high school, you know, coming back to this whole finding myself in a foreign land thing, you know, I was sort of a barbarian. Yeah. And you pointed this out in me. You called me a barbarian. Several times. It was times. true. Yeah, yeah it was several true, times. Though. <laughs> you to know, your face, though. You did, yeah. yeah. To your credit. Yeah. But you understand, I didn't speak their language, right? I didn't think like they did. You know, my mindset didn't line up with their mindset. But I'll tell you when I arrived there, you know, I wasn't asked my denominational background. Mm -hmm. I wasn't asked what church I go to, how long I've been a Christian. I remember on my first day, my RA came, just the resident assistant, sort of a, uh, just a guy a couple years older than me. He just welcomed me in. You know, he's excited for me, so we're so happy to have you. And he just prayed for my family. And then he sent me on my way, and I started packing. Right? Even though everything on paper seemingly divided me from this person, divided me from everyone there, they understood that there was something bigger that was going to unite me and him. Right? He saw me for who I was in Christ or who I was going to be in Christ. And so I thank God that he understood the love and the oneness that we should have in Christ. Wow. So you see the next couple of decades, you know, after Paul's ministry, you start to see this unifying effect of the gospel and churches from Rome to Jerusalem started to consist of people from different backgrounds and different races. And so Paul's ministry explains, you know, despite our differences, despite that I disagree with you, you know, I still love you. Right. Right. We're still one in Christ. We're still my brother or sister in Christ. So these guys loved you and this guy whom you really had nothing, no connection to. Yeah. What, what ended up happening with your relationship with him? You know, he's one of my best friends today, and, you know, a few years after, I, or a couple months after, I meet my wife, and a few years after that, we get married, and he's uh, one of the best men at my wedding. Awesome. Right? This guy who was so different from me, but through love. Yeah, awesome. So good. That was, yeah, that's good. You can clap. <laughs> you know, this is important, so Paul writes it again in Galatians 3.28. He says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Right? So what unites us? Well, the scripture makes it really, really clear in Christ. Right? It's silly to ever think that, you know, one person is ever going to know it all. Right? I can know every single thing. But what we do know, what we can share, is that, you know, Christ had died on the cross for each and every one of us through love. And each and every one of us do not escape his love. Amen. Even the song we sang this, this morning, yeah. I believe, right? All these things that we're declaring over our life, I believe in God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, that Christ is Lord. 
where there's so many things that unite us, so many things that are bigger that are going to unite us than these small little disagreements we have or the things that seemingly are so divisive. Right, so our call to the Lordship of Christ unites us together. That's the first one, but here's the second one. Okay, we have a shared responsibility of love. We're called to live in community, to be in unity, and to forgive and love others just as we have been forgiven and loved. Yeah. Paul writes this, uh, just continuing in that Colossians verse uh, from 13 to 14, he says this, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So there's one thing that unites us, and that thing is in Christ. But, you know, Paul says, look, here's another step further. Just as you have been forgiven, just as you have been loved, go out now and love them and forgive them and look outwards just as God has done to you because it's no different for me than it is for you, right? We all need to love each other and come in unity and be together. We need to understand that, you know, we're people who were in need of a Savior. Yeah. We're broken people who needed forgiveness, who needed God's love. And so now we have to take it a step further. And just as we have received it, now we have to go outwards and outpour. So when you look at the big picture, every human being you meet mm -hmm. is in need of the love and forgiveness and mercy of God. Yeah. So that unites us, yeah. number one. Yeah. Number two, Christ died that we might have life and loved us enough to do that. Yeah. That unites us. Yeah. Right? Amen. So then I, all I have to share with people is love. Right? Yeah. Amen. Amen. It was a great quote from the book, if you've read it, from Stanley Hauser was. And I just wanted to share it today because I, I just thought it was so brilliant. But he says this, this love that is characteristic of God's kingdom is possible only for a forgiven people, a people who have learned not to fear one another. Only when myself, my character, has been formed by God's love do I know that I have no reason to fear the other. Awesome. Right? When we understand God's love for us, it casts out that fear. So how important is it to understand that you know, you've been loved and are loved? Right? You've been forgiven and, and are forgiven. You've been called and are called. Right? This false narrative says, you know, if you don't look like me, if you don't act like me, if you don't worship or think like me, then I don't need to have fellowship with you or love you. But the kingdom narrative, Jesus' narrative says, if you don't act like us, think like us, look like us, or worship like us, but your heart beats for Jesus, then we are one in Amen. Christ. Amen. That's a good dividing line. Amen. So really the call is to diversity and not division. It's called to diversity. You know, Christ uh, is amazing. It's, uh, you know, the narrative, again, we talked about that false narrative. If we disagree, we must divide. But Jesus has something different to say to that. And I love this scripture. It has shaped my life many times. Listen to what it says. John is speaking. He says, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop them because they're not one of us. But Jesus says, do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. I love that scripture. You know, whoever's not against you is for you. And so when you look at life and you look at people around you, you know, those who represent the heart of God, the heart of the kingdom of God, they might not even be believers. But if they're not against you, God is saying they're for you. You know, when I look at social services and the partnerships that we have with social services in our church here, you know, we, we're, they're not against us. So we're for them. Then they're for us. You know, there's different things. But so even within the body of Christ, the churches in this region... They're not against us, right? So therefore, they're for us. And uh, we want to pray for their success, and we want to believe that God wants to bless them and fill the houses of God, the different combines for the different crops of people. Amen? So that's a powerful and an amazing thought. I love what James Brian Smith said in his book. He said this way. He is Lord of those who insist that women cannot serve in the ministry and Lord of those who insist they can. He is Lord of the Baptists and the Episcopalians, Lord of those who speak in tongues, and Lord of those who do not. You see, when I was in Bible college, one of my profs, he said this, and I, I've never forgotten this quote, division is demonic, diversity is divine. I love that quote, that God, he loves diversity. He loves diversity. 
You know, the thing about it, you think about the body of Christ and what are the essential doctrines? We sang them as we sang that song. Those are the essential doctrines we're talking about. These are the things we're celebrating. All the rest might be important things to some people, but are they essential? And should they divide us, right? God is saying no. You know, so this church family is interesting. If I were to pull this church and people ask me what kind of church we are, I always say we're kind of a we're kind of a non-denominational community church. You know, because if I was to poll everyone in this church, how many of you, and just by show of hands, how many of you come from, let's say, a Baptist background? Okay? How many come from an alliance background? How many how many come well, we gotta say that free Methodist. Anybody else free Methodist? Anybody else come from uh, Lutheran? How about Catholic? Yeah, lots of us put never hands on Catholic. So, you know, great. Now, if, if we were really to sit down and pull that apart, how many of you know there's all kinds of things that could divide us? But if we were to come together in Christ, in fellowship, in love, then those things become minor and incidental. We actually don't even really talk about them here. I'm Pentecostal, okay? Uh, I came out of the Catholic church. I got born again, and uh, I got born again in a Pentecostal church. And uh, let me explain what that means. Pentecostals have a distinctive that they say that there's a subsequent event that happens in a believer's life after they're born again, that they can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and there are things that occur because of that. And that's awesome. So we believe in this subsequent event of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, my Baptist brothers and sisters believe that when you're born again, you are filled with the Spirit. There's no second event. And so is that going to divide us? Now, here's the thing. You know what I love about it? I don't care. I really don't. Because listen to what Ephesians 5, which every... Baptist and every Episcopalian and every Free Methodist and every, they'd all agree with this scripture. It says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And that word filled means you were filled, you are being filled, and you will be filled. So every Baptist would say, man, I need to be filled with the Spirit every day. Well, every Pentecostal should say, I need to be filled with the Spirit every day. And I'm filled through the means of grace, through Bible study, through worship, through prayer, through I'm, I'm positioning myself to receive the grace of God, and so do all my brothers and sisters. So the timing of when they were filled, I don't care. It's not essential. Are you following what I'm saying? So this is what God is aiming for in the body of Christ. We could have all kinds of interesting fights and talks. We could talk about eschatology, the end times. We could talk about women in ministry or not in ministry. All those things. I love Augustine's quote. He says, in essentials, unity. In doubtful matters, liberty. In all things, charity. That's the answer. You know, I'm going to tell you one more story. Then you're going to conclude us. So when I first became born again and had an experience with God where I asked Christ to come into my heart, I, again, I told you I was part of a Pentecostal church, and I'm going to tell you this, I don't say this, just let me tell the story here for a minute. I literally became a Christian, and I came out of the Catholic church, and I was freaked out. I was in a foreign land, just like you, and literally the first week, these people come up to me and start telling me everything that was wrong with the Catholic church. And I was like, who are you? I have two nuns that are aunts, or two aunts that are nuns. <laughs> I, I might have some ants that are nuns too, some non ants. Anyway, so you understand, like, I, I didn't have a bad experience in the Catholic Church. I didn't. But I didn't encounter God the same way that I encountered at this church. But these people felt it was their imperative to challenge things in my life, and, I, and it was crazy. I, I actually thought of leaving that church the very first week I was there. And the pastor said, listen, just relax, it's okay, people have opinions about things, blah, 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 blah. So I did. But I had a friend of mine, and he had a very bad experience growing up Catholic, and I won't go into his details, but he was convinced Catholics couldn't even be Christians. And so we're having this argument now, we're getting to know each other a little bit, 
And, he, and I said, well, I'm going to midnight mass with my family because they're all still Catholic, and I'm going. And so we fight, and he's like, they're not even, oh, you can't even go there, you shouldn't go there. And so we came up with this conclusion. We said, well, let's pray for the, the carols that we're going to sing because the gospel's in them. So we prayed for the Lord to anoint us to sing. Well, me and this big burly guy, his name's Rick, and I'm going to make him watch this. We sang like the most angelic human beings on the face of the planet. It was like, it was otherworldly. The two of us were like, fall on your knees. And people are looking at us in the cabin, and we're like, this is awesome. We're just singing. And uh, we thought, this is incredible. And we thought, man, we're the bomb. Here we go. And then the funniest thing happens. There were three nuns sitting in front of us. And they turned around. They said, just kind of sheepishly, you boys must be Pentecostal. <laughs> and she says, you want to join us in a prayer meeting? <laughs> and he just like slumped his hands and like, yeah, I guess people can have an experience with God in different churches, eh? Anyway, sorry, I had to tell that story. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I'll call the band to come back up and we'll just conclude. But, you know, this whole kingdom narrative, everything we've been saying today is that, you know, we're different. We're uniquely set apart, but you know, as the body of Christ, as the church of God, we are not to be divided. Come on. Right? That's, that's the main truth coming out of today. And so I just wanted to share a story of um, just something that the author, James Brian Smith, had shared in the book. And it was a story of when he got invited to speak at uh, a church. And so they were having communion Sunday, and he was asked to help serve the communion. And so he was up at the front at the end of uh, the service, and there's worship going on in the background, and he's getting ready to serve the wine and, and the bread. And uh, the members of the church are slowly coming up one by one. And so one person comes up and, and he gives the bread and they're so they, coming. They hold their hands out like this and they receive the Eucharist. Yeah. So their hands are out front. And, yeah. You know, he's having this moment of, of realization of just God is downloading something into his spirit and he notices the first person's hands and, you know, they're quite large. Yeah. The second person comes up and their hands are quite small. Third person comes up and, you know, there might be scars on that person's hands or this person's hands might have deformities, whatever it was, but every person's hands were different. And so we had this moment understanding that these very people in front of me are not only partaking in the body of Christ, but these very people make up the body of Christ. Beautiful. You understand, church, that you, know, you make up the body of Christ. You have an important part to play. You yourself are a valuable member of the body of Christ and the person sitting next to you is a valuable member of the body of Christ. You are part of the larger body to be unified in Christ, to bring others home to his kingdom through love. Awesome, beautiful. When I went to Trinity, you know, I found my way home based on someone's love for me, understanding that I, I wasn't so different from them because you know what, Christ also died for me. Right on. So their love changed you, not them talking about doctrine and everything wrong in your That's life. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Amen. We are to love people who are different, love them despite them, because God loved us despite us. Beautiful. You know, so as we leave today, you know, what's, what's the challenge? What are we to do now, right? We, we heard all this, we know all this, what are we supposed to do? Well, you know, you were saying, Pastor Greg, in our preparation, you know, sometimes we just need to let go of the non-essentials. Amen. You know, there's things that we disagree on that, although they may be important, are they essential in the kingdom of God? So even, even outside of theological things, you might be here today and you're saying, well, I'm having a fight with somebody in my life and uh, I'm, I'm divided right now. And, and I think the challenge to all of us is, is the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? Do you, do you really need to stay divided? Can love overcome that division? And so that's really the first call, isn't it? That's the first call. But, you know, can we just, can we just pray? Can we take a moment? I just want to pray with everyone, if that's okay. You know, I feel God calling us back to this kingdom narrative, back to a Christ-centered community. And, you know, I was feeling even in the preparation that there's some non-essentials that I need to let go in my life. And I want to ask you to hear today, you know, if you're here for the first time, maybe, maybe you've been here for a while, but are there some non-essentials that you need to let go in your life? Are there disagreements in the church or in your family or in, your, in whatever relationship that you need to let go of? And if that's you, if there's something that you feel the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what, you can bring this to me, let's replace it with love. If that's you today, why don't you just raise your hand? And that's me too. Yeah. 
there's some non-essentials that I need to say this is not worth dying for yeah. because we need to be one in Christ and I have a role, a responsibility, a partnership with Christ to love others. Amen. You know, secondly, if you're here today and you know, we talked about this love of Christ, right? this kingdom narrative, this, this bigger team that we're a part of, you know, if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I don't know this team, yeah. I don't know this love, you know, what is, what is Christ dying on the cross? If that's you today and you want to experience this, if you want to you know, give your heart to Jesus and be a part of this bigger picture, be a part of this kingdom narrative, you know, if you want to make that commitment today, just like I did when I was at Trinity a few months after, gave my life to Christ, if that's you today, why don't you just raise your hand with me again? Amen. Maybe they're watching online, Cole, and mm -hmm. they're watching online and you're like, you know, I, I'm not really part of this team. I'm not yeah. really part of the body of Christ. You know, Jesus takes you right where you're at. You don't have to change one thing. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to have the right theology. All you have to say is, I want to receive the love of God and I want to join the kingdom of God, yeah. the team of God. Amen. Mm -hmm. So I want you to be bold. Jesus boldly died for you. If you're here today, and you're saying, yeah, I, wanna, I want in. Or if you're watching online, there's a place for you to say, I made a commitment to Jesus today. Make sure you press that button so we can get to know you and tell us your name so we can, we can pray with you and help you in your journey. I'm gonna ask one more time, if that's you, raise your hand. If you wanna make a commitment to Jesus, your life today to him. If you've done that or you're watching online and you're doing that right now, we're gonna pray a prayer out loud with you together. Let's pray that prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live with you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, why don't we sing this song together? Yeah. So why don't you stand up? You've been sitting patiently. Sing this song with a new attitude because you're declaring the essentials of the Christian faith as you sing this song together with us. Amen.